0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Dear friends, many people today are very interested in heaven. A number of years ago, ABC News conducted a poll which found that 89% of all Americans believe in heaven. Tabloids regularly feature stories of near-death experiences and people who supposedly caught a glimpse of heaven before they were brought back to life. Hundreds of books on angels and the afterlife have been published in recent years, some of which have been spun off into television serials and even movies. Now, none of this should surprise us, In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, Solomon tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. And that means that human beings know instinctively that this life is not all that there is. There is a life beyond this life, even if they refuse to admit it. And yet, paradoxically, many within the church do not know much about heaven, nor do they seem to be very interested in it. Not many books have been written on the subject of heaven. Most older systematic theologies barely cover it. It's not often preached on or talked about. Heaven, for the most part, is sorely neglected. And I think there are several reasons for this. First of all, we're too preoccupied with this present world. We have a tendency to think that this world is all that there is. And so we hardly give heaven a second thought. Secondly, we're far too comfortable here. For the most part, we who live in the West are quite well off, at least compared to people in third world countries. And the result is we enjoy this life far more than we should. We fail to remember that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We like it here, and so we want to stay here. Thirdly, the idea of heaven simply Doesn't appeal to some of us. Many people tend to think of heaven as a rather bland and even boring place. In his book, Heaven and Hell, Reverend Ed Donnelly recalls that when he was a child, he had no desire to go to heaven. And that's because he conceived of heaven as an elaborate church service that lasted for millions and millions of years. And he had visions of himself dressed in a white suit, sitting on a cold marble seat. Not allowed to move throughout all eternity. I didn't like the sound of heaven, he writes, and was in no hurry to get there. Well, this is unfortunate. For the subject of heaven is a source of rich spiritual strength and comfort for every believer. Again, Ed Donnelly writes this, and I quote, The study of heaven matters for our own sakes for our own spiritual growth and our effectiveness in service. By neglecting what the Bible says about heaven, we leave ourselves as believers much poorer, weaker, and more troubled than we need be. We cheat ourselves if we do not make use of this wonderful teaching. And so with this in mind and God's help, let's consider this morning the doctrine of heaven. So my theme is simply heaven. We'll consider four questions in relation to that theme, first of all, what is heaven? Secondly, who is in heaven? Thirdly, what is heaven like? And fourthly, and perhaps most importantly, how can we go to heaven? First then, what is heaven? Well, the original meaning of the Hebrew and Greek words for heaven is uncertain, but they came to describe that which is overarching or lofty, the upper regions Similarly, the English word heaven is derived from the word heave, and to heave means to lift something up. So heaven is that which is lifted up. The word heaven is used in several ways in Scripture. First of all, it can refer to the sky or the atmosphere. Secondly, it can also refer to what we now call space. And thirdly, it can refer to... To the dwelling place of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul refers to this as the third heaven, the first being the sky, the second being space, and the third, the dwelling place of God. Heaven is also known by several other names. These include paradise, Abraham's bosom, God's holy habitation or dwelling place the heaven of heavens, holy heaven, the high and holy place, the habitation of God's holiness, a garner of wheat, God's throne, the Father's house, the kingdom of God, a place of rest, a better country, a city. Each of these names provides a slightly different perspective on the same place. Heaven is all of these things and so much more. And from this it should be clear that when we speak of heaven, we're speaking of a certain place. Heaven, like hell, is not, as some have argued, an experience or a state of being. Sometimes people speak of heaven in that way. Sometimes people refer to a favorite vacation spot as, as heaven or heavenly. And by this they mean it's it's wonderful, it's out of this world. But heaven is not that. Heaven Is an actual, physical place that was created by God himself. Well, given that, who lives in this place? That leads us to our second point. Heaven is filled with inhabitants. In the first place, God dwells there. Many times the scriptures speak of God dwelling in heaven. For example, in 1 Kings 8, verse 30, Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple... Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And in Psalm Psalm 11, verse 4, we read this, The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. And in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. So heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's the place where God dwells. Now that raises the question, how can God be said to dwell in heaven when he is omnipresent? Did not Solomon himself say that the heaven of heavens could not contain him? How then can we say that heaven is the dwelling place of God? Well, when we say that heaven is the dwelling place of God, we mean that it is there in heaven that God is pleased most clearly to reveal himself, and where we see him as he really is in the fullness of his being. And that's true for us as well, isn't it? You never really get to know somebody simply by seeing them at church or at work. If you really want to get to know someone, you need to observe them in their home, in their dwelling place. And that is true also for God. Heaven is called the dwelling place of God because it is there in heaven that we can observe him for who he really is and what he is really like. The great Puritan theologian John Owen put it like this, and I quote, The reason why God is said to be in heaven is not because his essence is included in a certain place, so-called, but because of the more eminent manifestations of his glory there. So heaven, then, is the place where God most clearly and abundantly reveals his glory. And as such, it is called in Scripture the dwelling place of God. Secondly, Christ dwells in heaven. Now, as the second person of the Holy Trinity Christ, before his incarnation, existed in heaven from the beginning of time. And what is more, 40 days after his resurrection, Christ returned there. And he is there to this very day. In Hebrews 8, verse 1, we read that Christ is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And in one chapter later, Hebrews 9, verse 24 The writer to the Hebrews speaks of Christ entering into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Christ is in heaven, even now, and he will remain there until he comes again in glory. Angels also dwell in heaven, and there are thousands upon thousands of them. In Hebrews 12, verse 22 and 23, we read that believers are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Similarly, in Revelation 5, verse 11, the Apostle John says that the number of angels in heaven is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The idea is that there are so many angels in heaven, you simply cannot begin to number them. Fourthly, the souls of believers who have passed away are also in heaven. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus says that when he died, Lazarus was taken by the angels into Abraham's bosom, which is another word for heaven. Jesus said to the penitent thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Again, paradise is another name for heaven. And this implies, of course, that upon the point of death, the soul of believers goes directly to heaven. It doesn't go to sleep and remain in, a, in that condition until the day of resurrection. No, the soul remains conscious and goes directly into heaven to be with Christ. In Revelation 20, John says that the dead in Christ shall reign with him for a thousand years. So not only are the souls of believers in heaven, but so are their children who die in infancy or who were stillborn or who have suffered from a mental disability. Now some say that the souls of all children who die in infancy And the souls of all those who suffer from a mental disability go to heaven when they die, whether they are born of believing parents or not. But that may be stretching the limits of the teaching of Scripture. All we can say for sure is that this is true only for children of believers. Now, on what basis do we say that? Well, implicitly on the basis of the covenant of grace that God has established with believers, and with their seed, in which God promises to be a God to us and to our seed after us. But this is based explicitly on the basis of what David said to his servants after his baby boy passed away. He said, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. And by that, David meant that his son would not come back to earth, but that he, David, would go to heaven where he was. The same principle applies to those who are born mentally handicapped. They, together with the souls of all believers, are in heaven. And that means there are many thousands of people in heaven. Just like there are many thousands of angels, so there are many thousands of saints in heaven. In Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, John says that he beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. And they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Who are these people? They are the believers, the souls of believers who have gone on before us. The point is like the angels there are so many inhabitants in heaven that we cannot begin to number them all. Well, that said what is heaven like? That brings us to our third point. No one can ever possibly describe what heaven is like. The apostle Paul testified of that as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. There he speaks of the glory and the wonder of heaven, and he says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Heaven is so wonderful that you can't describe it in words. And yet the Bible does reveal some things about heaven. First of all, it teaches that heaven is a sinless place. In heaven there is no sin. There's not even any possibility of sin. And that's because everyone who resides there is perfectly holy. They are in their glorified state. In Revelation, John says that the saints are dressed in white robes which symbolize purity and holiness. Secondly, the Bible says that heaven is a happy and joyful place. And there are two reasons for that. First of all, because Christ is there. And nothing will make the child of God happier than to be with him. As Paul said, he would rather die and be with Christ which is far better. Secondly, there's nothing that can undermine or take away this joy. There's no hunger in heaven, no thirst, no sickness, no disease, no death, no disappointment, no sadness, no anxiety, no worry, no fear. Whatever detracts from joy and happiness will not be present in heaven. Heaven is a place where one will experience perfect, undisturbed happiness happiness and joy throughout all eternity. Thirdly, the Bible says that heaven is a place of fellowship and communion. In heaven we will experience communion with God, with Christ, and with other believers. And this communion will be perfect, and it will be uninterrupted. There will be no more disagreements, no more arguments over non-essentials. We will enjoy perfect, unbroken communion and fellowship, with all of God's people from all over the world, from the beginning of time to the end of time, and it will be wonderful. Now, one question that people often ask in this connection is Will we know one another in heaven? And the answer to that question, I believe, is yes. And I say that for two reasons. First of all, if the believer's state in heaven is superior to his state on earth, it would be inconceivable that a believer would not recognize those whom he knew and loved on earth. To fail to recognize those whom we knew and loved on earth would be a diminishment of our joy and not an enhancement of it. Secondly, and more importantly, there are passages in the Bible that suggest that unbelievers will recognize each other in hell. Think, for example, of Isaiah 41, verse 12, where the inhabitants of hell will recognize the king of Babylon as he descends towards them. I think also of Luke 16, where the rich man is said to recognize Lazarus as he rests in Abraham's bosom. Now, although the latter is a parable, one must remember that parables are based on reality. And Jesus would not tell us something that was not absolutely true. Fourthly, the Bible says that heaven is a place of rest. In Hebrews 4, verse 9, the writer to the Hebrews, speaking of heaven, says, There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Similarly, in Revelation 4, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that he heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now, the fact that heaven is a place of rest does not mean that it's a place of inactivity. It certainly isn't. There is much activity in heaven. The Bible tells us that the saints in heaven are doing all kinds of things. They're eating and drinking and worshiping and rejoicing and judging and and doing all kinds of things. When the Bible says that heaven is a place of rest, it means primarily that heaven is a place where we can cease from sin and we're fighting against sin and weeping over sin is done and over with once and for all. There's no more struggle. There's no more fighting. And in that sense, heaven is a place of rest. Fifthly, the Bible says that heaven is a place of worship. In heaven, the saints are forever praising and worshiping God. We read of that throughout the book of Revelation. In heaven, the saints are forever praising and worshiping God as they stand before his throne, and they will never get tired of doing so. Worshiping and praising God will be their one and only delight. Sixthly, heaven is a pleasurable place. In Psalm 16, verse 11, David writes, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is a place of never-ending pleasure. Now what these pleasures consist of, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Certainly the greatest pleasure in heaven will be, as I said already, living without fear or shame in the very presence of God himself. But it will also include things like eating and drinking and fellowshipping with Christ and other believers. All of these things will bring intense pleasure to the child of God. Seventh, heaven is a place of rewards. The Bible teaches that in heaven, everyone will receive a reward. Now, some will receive a greater reward than others, depending on how they lived on this earth, and especially what they suffered for Christ. But everyone will receive a reward. And nor will anyone be jealous of anyone else. No one will complain that someone else got a greater reward than others, because we will be perfect, and we will be perfectly content with the reward that we have been given, understanding that whatever reward we have been given is given out of grace and not out of merit. Eighth, the Bible says that heaven is an abiding place. And by that I mean it will never disintegrate or disappear or vanish away. In Matthew 6, verse 20, Jesus advises his disciples to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul speaks of heaven as a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, Peter describes it as an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Heaven is an abiding place. It will endure to all eternity. Ninthly and finally, heaven is a beautiful place. We have a description of heaven in Revelation 21, verses 10 and following. It's pictured as a large city surrounded by four high walls with three great gates of pearl in each wall, twelve gates in all. The walls of the city were made of jasper and the buildings of the city were made of pure gold. The foundations of the city were garnished with all kinds of precious stones, jasper and sapphires and emeralds and topaz and amethysts. We're told that there was no temple in the city for the Lord himself was its temple. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, the Lamb of God, is the light thereof. Flowing through the city was a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne room of God and of the Lamb, and on either side of the river there was a tree of life. Now there's much here that needs to be explained. But it's clear from this very brief description that heaven is a very stunningly beautiful place. It's so beautiful, it's described three times in Scripture as paradise, reminding us of the beauty of the Garden of Eden. Heaven is a paradise. It is the most wonderful, the most beautiful place we can ever possibly imagine. Well, this then is what heaven is like. In a sense, we've only scratched the surface, haven't we? There's so much more that we could say. But suffice it to say that that heaven is most wonderful. It's the most wonderful place you can ever imagine. There's no greater joy, no greater pleasure, no greater satisfaction than that which we can experience in heaven. Now maybe you say as you're listening to this, well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And I would love to go to this place, but how can I go there? Well, that brings us to our fourth and final point. Dear friends, not everyone will go to heaven. Not even all professing Christians will go to heaven. Jesus says that on the last day there will be many who will plead with the Lord to let them into his kingdom. And to justify their claim, they will mention all of the wonderful things that they did for him in this life. How they prophesied in his name and performed miracles in his name. But Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now why will Jesus say that? Well, he's going to say that because these people never were true Christians. Well, yes, they said they were. They thought they were. Many others thought that they were, but they were not. Why not? Or to phrase it differently, how can we go to heaven? My friend, in order to go to heaven, we must do two things. And these are not things that we do in and of ourselves or by nature. By nature, we will never do anything for our spiritual good. These are things that the Holy Spirit works in us by His grace. First of all, we must repent of our sin. That means we must turn our back on sin, do an about-face on sin, go in the opposite direction to the way we have been living to date. And secondly, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means trusting in Him, embracing Him, as your Lord and Savior and King, casting all of your hope for eternity on him and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. The Bible says that those who do these two things will be saved. They will receive the pardon of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. They they alone will go to heaven. So let me ask you, have you done these things? Have you truly repented? Have you truly believed You know, we live in a day and an age when practically everyone thinks they're going to heaven. Ask anyone on the street if they're going to heaven, and they will immediately answer in the affirmative. After all, they say, I'm a good person. I've never hurt anyone or killed anyone. Of course I'm going to heaven. And when such people die, the funeral director or the minister makes no bones about it. Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so is now in heaven. Even though there was no evidence that they ever trusted in Christ. And this kind of thinking pervades the church of Christ as well. I've already referred to those who will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and expect to be let into heaven. They will even cry, Lord, Lord, as if they knew him personally, as if they had some kind of close relationship with him. But the door will be shut to them. And let that be a warning to us. Do not think that just because you go to church Or just because you've been baptized and you have believing parents and you were raised in a Christian family to Christian parents that you'll necessarily go to heaven. Those are great blessings indeed, but they cannot get you into heaven. There's only one way we can get to heaven, and that is by repenting of our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I must be converted. And so I ask you again, have you done this? If you've never done so, I urge you, do it today. Still today, the Lord is ready, willing, and able to receive sinners unto himself. And he will also receive and save you if you ask him. And if you refuse, well, then when you die, you won't go to heaven, you'll go to hell. You see, there's only two options. We either go to heaven when we die, or we go to hell. Where will you be? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9 If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again or if you would like more information about our program including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program please go to our website you can find that at banneroftruthradio.com That's banneroftruthradio all one word dot .com Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs broadcasting this program of this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage again is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.